so anyways, 2 Timothy, uh, here we go. Again, written to Timothy. Uh, he's been ministering in Ephesus, and that is likely continuing here. We're going to see honesty, and we're going to see uh, Paul, how he relates and encourages those in struggles. Uh, that's something we can all understand. We can understand abandonment. We can understand trials and struggles and things not going our way. So it's kind of cool we get the insights from Paul. Uh, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul gives his credentials. You say, well, Timothy, isn't Timothy his son in the faith? Why does he have to give these credentials? It's like me sending a text to my wife, and it's like, honey, I'm going to be home in 30 minutes. Chris Fick, lead pastor, Calvary Carlsbad, you know, and it has like my, uh, it has a tagline at the end, you know, or something, and she's just like, what? Why? Why did you need to send that, you know? wasn't for Timothy. It was so that people could see his credentials and that he was, in fact, qualified. This is the calling I had been given. Remember, Paul was an apostle of Christ by the will of God. Now, uh, it's always the will of God, you know, that people be saved. Paul had a very unique encounter, though, where he was uh, plucked out of darkness and brought into light right? You read the story in Acts chapter 9, you can see it for yourself. Paul's breathing murderous threats. He's wanting to kill Christians. He's already oversaw the death of Stephen. He is causing nothing but trouble, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and stops him in his tracks. So he's like saying, if you want to know for sure if you're called by the way, Jesus himself called me. He pulled me off, uh, off track, and he told me what I was going to do, so trust me. I'm here by the will of God. So he's reminding them of that. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the life that is now and the life to come. What's interesting is, once that had happened, is Paul never complained about that. He was overjoyed by being uh, called out and then given this passion and this uh, purpose to go and bring the word to, to, to everyone. We never see Paul really complaining about uh, persecution or suffering or any of that. He's so, he, he like considers it like a joy to be able to walk in the steps of Jesus in those ways. And he brings just uh, a passion in everything he does. But he wants to remind them, I am called by Christ. My words have authority. And, and Paul is, uh, yet Paul, even in that position of authority, says, what does he say? Follow me as I follow Christ. To, to Timothy, a beloved son, son in the faith, right? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace. Paul understood the need of these things, and he prays and is praying these things for Timothy. We need this, especially when things aren't going well. We need grace. We need mercy. We need peace. Now, the question is, we all know we need that. How often are we praying for these things, both for ourselves and for others? Okay, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. So Paul is serving God 
he says, as his ancestors. Uh, so Paul was Jewish. We know that, right? Um, he was of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was uh, brought up in that. And so he sees his forefathers as those who were once set apart, called out. The children of Israel were set apart from all other nations to fulfill the purpose of God. And we see the hall of faith is full of people Jew, the Jews who had honored God and trusted God and believed God. And it was accounted to them as righteousness. Just like Abraham, we see faith. You can see this in Hebrews, the hall of faith. There's a rundown of them, right? They chose to honor God. Paul's saying, my ancestry did the same, right? And so he's coming from that. I'm serving God with a pure conscience. Um, man, there's nothing like a pure conscience, right? That's something... Uh, we learn young, right? Maybe when you first lie or you first steal or you first cheat or whatever, you feel terrible, right? You feel awful and you know something bad's coming, you know? You just feel it's looming, you know? You get, uh, you just have that feeling. Uh, that The conscience is it's heavy on your soul, right? And I try to do that. We have, you know, kids and I'm just like, hey, listen, I, I, I don't know for sure, but you might not be telling me the truth. And let me just say, the clean conscience, the freedom you will feel if you, if you confess this and you let it go, I mean, that would be a big deal for you. So doing things with a clean conscience is worth everything, right? So Paul's saying, I serve Christ with a pure conscience. I'm not gaining anything from this. Matter of fact, I'm losing a lot, but I do it with a pure conscience, and so he's thankful. What he's saying, I'm thankful to God for Timothy. Paul is so thankful for Timothy. And it's so important we value one another. Paul had so much value for Timothy. And good friends in the Lord are like an unbelievable gift. Someone who can encourage you and can build you up. That is an unbelievable gift. And we like far too often uh, take it for granted having people in our life who are like down for the same things as you that are believers that are there to encourage you and to lift you up and to build you. And then all of a sudden you, 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 they're not there. And then what do you have? And you realize, man, the importance of friends. Tori and I have been talking about that, man. Friends are so vital. And that's part of like, even, you know, Troy was talking about the marriage thing. That's just so fun. We get to know each other. We get to hang out and we like, especially when you're talking about something personal like marriage and someone says something and you're like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's us too. And you, you know, like, because you're being brought into their life and you feel like there's like a, a intimacy, a camaraderie and like, kind of like someone's on your team. Like we're together in this. You know, at camp, one of the biggest things I think that set us apart from the other teams is that everyone on our team cared about winning. Big time. When we told them if they lost a flag, they were, were calling their parents they were going home because there was a flag-stealing competition, which is not true. We, it was not because didn't, we didn't have to do that. So thankfully, uh, I'm just kidding. But there was like a, a buy-in of like, we're in this together. We watch each other's back. We're in this together. We've got you. I've got you. So, um, and, and Paul recognizes that when push came to shove, Timothy was there. A lot of his other friends left. See, Paul had gotten a very bad reputation because he was actively preaching the good news of the gospel, and it was offensive to people. 
The good news of the gospel is offensive and Paul didn't pull any punches. He told the truth to people. He told them what they needed to hear and they did not want to hear it. So what happens? They criminalize him. They put him in these positions where he's being criminalized, where he's being uh, brought before courts, where he's been kind of like, wanted ads or you know this guy don't have anything to do with this guy you're going to find yourself in jail too so a lot of his fair weather friends took off on him he's ever had friends like that where stuff gets bad they're gone yeah i I remember that happening you know there's a couple of quick situations where you're in a bad spot and uh all of a sudden some of your friends run away and you're like note to self (laughs) you are not here for the long haul you're not around. Where are you? No, also, you know, friends who stand side by side and back you up, that build you up and go, I'm going down with you. I've got your back. You know, we're, I'm with you on this, you know? So we need friends like that. Paul recognizes Timothy is a friend like that. That's why he's writing to him. That's why he wants to see him. He longs to see him because so many of his friends have fallen away. And how many in here, I mean, you don't have to do a show of hands, have had friends fall away? It's like a lot of us. I, I, I mean, it's like, I'm just grateful for the friends that haven't in some, to some extent. Because you know what? The way it's narrow and, and the, the entrappings of the world, it's so easy to get sucked in. And if you're on the outside looking in, you could see it. You could go, that's, that's the plan. That's the trap. You're being, there's the bait don't know, don't go. You went for it, didn't you? And, and, and so, and in the same sense, we have our own bait that we can't see that's trying to pull us on the outside. So we need friends that are going to stand with us, that are going to back us up, and also going to be able to see stuff when we don't see it. Look, you're going into trouble right now. These are dangerous waters. Get out of here. This is not a good place for you to be. Trouble is looming. It's a trap. Star Wars fans. So that, that's what he's saying. I'm so thankful for Timothy. Timothy, I love you so much. And he's going to, that's what he's going to say. He's going to ask him to come and see him and hang out with him. And I think he just wants to like hug him and be with him. And sometimes that's what we need. We just need friends in the Lord we could just be with. Especially when the times are hard. It's like, man, the more you go through, the more you're like, man, I just want to be around my friend and I want to just be with him. I just want to just, Sit with them. That's Paul. It was, it was uh, said. It was not, this is not a theological quote by any means. Uh, and I think it was done on Saturday Night Live, so you know. But it's, uh, as John Mulaney said, I think the, the greatest miracle of Jesus is he has 12 best friends in his 30s. And they weren't his wife's best friend's husbands. Yeah. Kind of goes to the point, right? Friendships are important. Friendships take work, and friendships go both ways. Uh, it, it, friendships are a model of dying to yourself, too, right? The best friendships are not selfish. If it's a one-way thing, it'll be a one completely one-way thing soon, right? So you want to build into that. Paul sees the great value of that, cherishing your friends. And he shows his true love and care for his friend by stating how often he prays for him. Right? He says, seeing, uh, and, and he, he's like saying, I pray for you constantly. Right? I'm, I, I pray for you without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. 
And before you like feel bad, like I've never prayed for anything completely night and day. I don't think it's like nonstop night, night and day. Like he's like constantly, you know, and even he says, I'm praying for you without ceasing. I think what he's saying is it's, he's not skipping days and months and, and years. he's, he keeps bringing them up. Cause sometimes we want to build Paul into being like a superhuman that can only do, no, but it's, it's just remembering him in his prayers. He thinks about him in the morning and he thinks about him in the night and he lifts him up in prayer. Really, it's good, right? And, and again, seeing people fall away and Paul's gonna note some of them, some of them later in, the, uh, in, the, in this book, but seeing them fall away is a sober reminder of the battle at hand. So what do you do? You pray for your friends that they don't fall. You pray for them that they are built up, that they can remain, that they can go on. Value their friends, though. Maybe after church. I know you got friends here. Go up to them and say, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for, like, having my back. And saying, I pray for you, and if you do, and if you don't, saying, I don't pray for you, but I'm going to. <laughs> That's okay. Verse 4. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Again, Paul's going to ask him to, to visit him and bring him some personal things, uh, but just seeing his friend will be huge for both of them. He's, he's like, I, I, it, would be full, it would be full of joy for them to be together. Timothy has struggled. He's faced a lot of opposition like Paul. That's why Paul keeps saying, Timothy, be brave. Timothy, don't be timid. Timothy, keep going. Timothy, don't forget who you are. Timothy, don't forget God put you here. Don't forget those who laid hands on you, Timothy. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Like you are, you are who you're supposed to. You are meant for this. You are built for this. You are called to this. They both experience a lot of hardship. And he greatly desires to see him. And he's, uh, so the road is, of a faithful pastor is a path of offending those who want to continue in sin. I mean, that's it, right? And, and there's a lot to the church being relevant to the culture, right? And where we try to fit in and we try to, you know, how do we be a church without being a church and then also throw in Jesus in there every once in a while? So we still, we got our quota of Jesus and quota of this, you know. I'm not trying to dog anybody in specific, but like the, the idea of being so relevant, we can't be. We got to speak to culture. We got to understand culture. We got to understand where we're at because that's the language we're speaking. Paul is speaking to each individual culture. He's, he's, he's reaching them where they're at. But to think that the church is ever going to fit in with the world isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so we've got to expect opposition. And so that's, I think, why he's saying, uh, being mindful of your tears. Timothy is crying out because it's painful. It's hard. We can never be truly, truly relevant to society because we are, will always be an offense to it. The church is, is, is meant to stand as light in the midst of darkness. That will be offensive. So if you just want to get along with everything that's going on in this world, I, I, pretty soon you will just be that. There's got to be landmarks and lines. Now here's the problem. When the church starts making uh, lines in the sand where the Bible does not, 
where Jesus would not. And we've got a lot of those too. We're like, man, I'm just being persecuted for righteousness sake. No, you're being called out for being a jerk. You're being called out for being a legalist. You're being called out for being wrong. You're being called out for being unloving and unmerciful and ungracious. That's on you. Those tears are your own. So there's a lot of that, right? But there's also the stuff we absolutely cannot budge on. And why? Because we genuinely do love people. And when you love people, you give them what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear. If you have kids, do they want to brush their teeth? Never, right? You send them away to like someone's house, your friend's house, and you like find, um, the, the, you find that you, get, you gave them a new toothbrush and it was never opened. That's what, it's a good way to do it, by the way. Because if they never opened up the bag and they never looked in it, otherwise it's just, you know, my word against yours. Then we're dealing with conscience issues. You can clear that conscience real quick when it's a brand new, you know, toothbrush with Spider-Man on it and it was never opened, right? But they don't want to hear that, right? They don't want to hear it. But we, we, what do we do as parents? I don't want to make you mad. And that's part of what being a parent is. I'm not trying to make you upset. This is like, there's no joy for me in having drama today. Like, this is not what I was planning to happen. But I love you so much that I can't let you go on this, this path. I can't let you go this direction. Even though you want to, and even though the, the part of me that wants life to be easy wants to let you, I know long term it's not good for you. So church is always going to stand out and be different than, than society. And that is actually where the power lies. When it's a God-given, God-ordained stance where we're supposed to stand, where we don't budge, where we don't fluctuate, where we don't, uh, you know, kind of soften our edge, that is a place for the church to stand up and be light and not be mushy. Because a lot of people are like, church, oh, so you're just like us and you have the same, you know, uh, kind of rates of immorality as the rest of the world, why would I go? I don't really see much of a difference. And so we speak to truth because we believe it to be truth. But it's painful. Timothy was timid. He was seemingly soft-hearted. And it's taken its toll on him. Man, standing up and, and loving people and telling them the truth is not easy to do. And I, I mean, I got to say, there's lots of times where I, I know I should do it more. And there's times where people should do it more to you or me. And it's like, I sometimes like, you don't want to hear it either. I don't want to hear that. But it's, it's, it's important. And I remember um, years ago, I had gotten saved. And um, I was, you know, God had really, he'd started to really change my life. And then I'd had an, an uh I don't know, I just like kind of gotten cold. I stopped going to church. You know, this is, this is always a thing. Church isn't that important. You know, it's churches, it's churches wherever we're gathered, you know, me and my friends. Only wherever me and my friends are gathered, we're never talking about the Lord and there's no fellowship and there's, there's no reading the Bible. There's no nothing, right? So all of a sudden it's like, yeah, cool, we don't need church, right? Uh, all of a sudden it becomes very evident that I'm missing something pretty serious in my life. And I remember my friend called me up. Maybe you've heard this story before. My friend called me up one night. It was New Year's Eve. And he said, hey, and he had no problem with confrontation. None. A little too much. 
I think he liked it. Um, and he says, hey, you used to be on fire for the Lord, now you're not. What's that about? I'm like, who are you? Who do you think you are calling me like that? You know, it's like, I'll beat you up uh, in Jesus. And, uh, and so he, he's, he just was like, he's like, dude, you just got to get back, man. Stop. Don't, just knock it off. Just acting stupid. Don't do it, you know. Like you're, it's you, there was such good things happening in your life, and now you, there's like, there's there's no fruit anymore. You're going the opposite direction, and I was I seriously was like, okay, all right, okay, all right. I tried to handle it like a like a Christian. I hung up the phone. I was furious. I was so mad at him. Like, how dare you call me out, you know? And then I was just like, dang it, he's right. And I remember I I went in in my room and I pulled up the Bible and I read James at the very end of James, it talks about how a brother who, who pulls or someone who pulls you from sinning saves a brother. And it's like this beautiful thing. I'm like, he just did that for me. And I was like, that was so from the Lord. And it was such a good thing. And it, it really set uh, in motion uh, a lot of basically how I ended up in ministry it was really from that point. It was a friend telling me something I didn't want to hear. I don't know if he wanted to say it or not. He might have. That doesn't matter. Sometimes you have those people in your life that are just like abrasive. You go, oh, but they kind of, you need abrasive things sometimes, especially when it comes to cleaning. <laughs> so anyway, there's joy, and there's also joy in understanding what they've gone through together. We see, a lot of times we seek those who are in similar positions to us right? That's why like grief groups are so powerful because it's people who really do get it. Like, you know, because one of the worst things you could say to someone grieving is like, I totally understand my lizard died last week. And they're like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And when you're talking to someone who's really grieving, there's it, it, to, to come from it from a place where you really understand. And what's funny is the people who really understand don't usually say they understand. They just, they know that all they want is you to be there with them and to, and to sit with them and to hang out with them and to like put your arm around them. So they have that in common. They're in similar positions. They've been through similar things. His mother Lois, his mother Eunice gave Timothy, uh, they, they, that's, that's the other part, gave Timothy a heritage of genuine faith. Timothy was raised in a home that maybe th this grandmother and mother got saved under Paul's care, I don't know. But he was raised with some real awesome godly women. Thank God for godly women. This, this, you, you women are powerful in the home. Powerful. And so Paul looks at them and he says, man, you, I, knew, I know your mom and I know your grandma and they are bad to the bone believers. And that's why you're like the way you are, Timothy. Like that is because of that, because of the heritage that you've been giving. Having godly parents and godly grandparents is a huge advantage. Training up your children in the way they should go, huge advantage. Right? And a lot of times they come back a lot later. We don't know. You know, sometimes they fall away and you go, wait, where's the promise in that? I'm telling you. Godliness. Now, now here's the important part. It's it's in that they are an example. That it's in teaching. You're able to teach them. Tell them really what the Word of God says. Tell them really who Jesus is. Tell them really who they are. Tell them what the purpose is. What the what they were called to. Why they're here. 
So in teaching, an example of life, right? Where, where do we have power? A lot of times we go, I'll just teach him. No, example of life. Because if, if you teach something, but you constantly do the opposite, what do they think? This is something you say. It's not something you do, right? We have like lots of stuff like that where we say it, you know. This is the worst thing ever. What? In the history of mankind? This is the worst thing that's ever happened. You spilled your milkshake? This is not, this is not true, right? And so we, we've got to back it up, the things we say with the things we do. So in teaching, an example of life, and here's the other thing that's a huge advantage to your kids, active prayer, where you're praying for your kids. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I would hear in testimonies. I love testimonies. love hearing testimonies. And a lot of times I would say, my grandma was praying for me. She just prayed for me. Ever since I was a kid, she prayed for me. And she didn't stop praying for me when I was doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. They just kept praying for me. And I knew there was something, something there. And I knew God had, had something. He was on, you know, whatever. So huge advantage. Parents, you can be an, a massive advantage to your children. You raise them in what to know, how teaching, the Bible. So what does that mean? We got to understand it ourselves. You can't teach something you don't understand. You can't teach discipline. You can't teach devotion if you don't have it. An example, that ties into example. The way we live, we back up the things we say we believe with our lifestyle. And then we really back it up by doing stuff where no one sees it, which is in the closet praying. Huge advantage. Huge advantage to your children. So be encouraged. It's not even a Father's Day or Mother's Day message. This is a bonus. Verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. With your heritage, meaning your, your mother and your grandmother who taught you well, and your calling in mind. Don't forget you were called. Don't forget you had hands laid on you. Don't forget your purpose. Stir up the gift of God in you through the, through the laying on hands, of my hands. Stir up the gift of God in you. Stir it up. The CSB says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God. Rekindle. The ESV, I think, is even better. To fan into flame the gift of God. You guys know when you're camping, fires are hard to get going, kind of, right? Initially. Unless you've got a bunch of lighter fluid and you've got a bunch, you know. But you see this in, in like survivor shows, right? And they got like a flint or they've got one match. And so they're just sitting there and they're like, they've got this like perfect little thing. And they're like, you know, blowing into it and just like, ah, you know, and someone's got to watch it because it's amazing. A fire that super looks like it's going super good can just be gone like that. Have you noticed that? And then when you want to put it out, it won't go out for days. Like you realize, like I poured 15 gallons of water on this and it is, I, I threw a piece of paper in there and it lit on fire. I don't know. Okay. That's because it gets really, really hot eventually. Oh, that's actually a good point. It gets to a point eventually where it's, it's a lot more stable, right? But there's something to kindling, fanning into flame, taking care for your faith, right? 
Like a fire must be tended, so must your gift. So must what God has given you to do. How do we do that? I think it's through discipline, through diligence, and deliberate effort. That's what I think. I think you have to have discipline to do the hard things now to get the good things later. Right? Discipline's huge. We've talked about it a bunch of times. Discipline is, is the key to experiencing freedom. Diligence. Got to be diligent about it. And everything you do, you're, you're making sure that you do it. Like you're, you're, you're like, it's on your mind. It's, it's there constantly. And you make a deliberate effort. Like it, it is, it has a place in your life to be, make a deliberate effort towards fanning the thing that God has called you to do. See, a lot of people, they, they get saved, they get pumped to follow God, they kind of get a glimpse of what God's called them to do, and then they don't do anything about it, they forget about it, then they just kind of start just coming to church, they kind of forget about it, life just becomes normal and mundane and boring, and you've forgotten the purpose for what you've been saved for. Fan that back into flame. Let me encourage you, there's an ember there. And if you, if you fan it back into flame and, and are reminded of the thing that God has called you to do, because you go, well, how do you know I have a calling? Because God has a calling for every person. You are his workmanship created for good works. What does that look like? You tell me. There's biblical examples, but what is the personal example of how that manifests itself in your day-to-day life, in your day-to-day circles, in everything that you do? So we fan that into flame. You've been given a gift. So what? You know? So what? You've been given a gift. What are you doing with it? You know, a lot of times we think, oh, I'm gifted in this way. What are you doing with that gift? Every year, there's thousands and tens of thousands of insane, amazing athletes that should be gracing uh, the floors of professional sports that had no care for the gift that was given to them. And so they're not there. It's possible that some of the very best athletes never made it. No discipline, no direction, no diligence, none of that. So it takes Whatever God has put in our life, as he's called us into him, following him, and the gifting he's given us, what do we do with those gifts? And there's nothing to be cocky about the gift. It was a gift. It was given to you. But what you do with it, it it makes a big difference. So it's cool. I love getting to know people because you find out, man, they, they, they bring stuff to the table that you do not. I really like being around people that think differently than me. That's in in my uh, cohort. We have class this week, and it'll be two years done with a whole section of it. Theology, biblical, all that. Everyone in that class is so different, you know? One thing we have in common, we're all in, most of us are in full-time ministry. And so there's a lot of, like, um, like Paul and Timothy, like, tears in a sense. (laughs) Of, like, just struggles, uh, hardships, hard things that come. But there's something so cool about people who are different than you thinking about things differently and then letting that like, whoa, that's amazing. And then speaking, I've had a couple of friends speak things to me that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And I've implemented it. Like, whoa, thank you. These are using the gift they've been given for God's glory. How do you harness it? Discipline, diligence, deliberate effort. 
And we were given, leave nothing, yeah, that's the other part. We don't want to leave anything on the table. If God's given us something, we want to use it. That's Paul. He says, you know, I was born as one out of, I was born as one out of due time, right? I, come, I came later. But I worked harder than anyone else. As soon as I, as soon as I was called, I worked harder than anyone else. But he says, not, not, it's not me, but it was Christ in me. He, he came and he, but I gave everything I had. And we're compelled by people who give everything they have, don't we? Aren't we? It's a story of Rudy. Okay, who's seen Rudy? You're five foot nothing, hundred and nothing, you know, okay. So, you know, the story of this little guy that goes to Notre Dame and thinks he can play football, he's tiny, but he has a heart, you know, and he cares and he's diligent. Leave nothing on the table. We got to play in two CIF final football games, my junior and my senior year. And the coaches, it was just oozing out of them. Leave nothing. Leave, give it all. Give everything you have. And that's the reason they're coaches, because they wish they could do it. Sometimes they hit you extra hard because they were, they, you know, they wished they could still play and, you know, kind of hoped that maybe they could suit up if someone didn't have their stuff. This is the, the deliberate de- effort to, to go all in with everything you have. If we're willing to do that for a temporary crown or a perishable trophy, what do we do with the gift that God has given us for eternal life? God, what have you given me to do and how can I make that thing grow? How can I fan it into flame? How can I nourish it and feed it and give it what it needs grow to the point where it's big enough and it starts producing fruit for the church. You're given a gift to bless the church uh, and in doing so, you will be blessed. What's interesting is the gift itself will not be enough of a blessing for you. It'll actually be frustrating, right? Because if it's just physical, I, I could do this. This is a big thing with leadership. People who have the gift, natural gifting of leadership, I think God gives them that gift, and you can use your leadership to do really good things and you can use it to do really terrible things. And the gift of leadership can get you really far in life, but you will always be frustrated if you're not leading people to something real and something worthwhile. So you'll find that in blessing people is where you'll find the blessing for yourself. Isn't that wild? As you're doing the thing you've been called to do, you'll find I'm finally fulfilling my purpose. And lo and behold, my purpose was not just to be uh, glorified and honored and praised like a God. It was, in fact, to honor God and lift others up. And in doing so, I experience peace. I experience joy. I experience hope. I experience life. And there's something about this I can't get enough of. So leave nothing on the table. You've been given a gift to bless. We were running this down actually with our kids yesterday. I was like telling them all their, I was trying to tell each of them something unique about them. You know, you, you're this and you have these gifts. And when you use them, they're a blessing to everyone. But here's what happens when you're selfish and it's not a blessing to anyone. <laughs> like, so what do you want to do? Do you want to be a blessing or do you want to be a problem? They all said, a blessing. Good, it's solved. We're done. We'll never have to talk about it again. 
And then he says this, he encourages them, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, this is really good. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Um, this is a big deal. There's so much fear in the church. It's ridiculous. It, honestly, it's ridiculous. It's because we are forgetting who we are. Paul is on death row and he's speaking these words. God's not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us instead? Power and love and a sound mind. Let me, let me, the church is not here on earth to escape. That is not what the church is here to do, to run away. The church is not here to escape. The church is not here, another thing, second thing, to dominate through force. We are not here to take it by force. That is not the kingdom. That is what they wanted Jesus to do, but what he absolutely did not do. He didn't escape and run away, and he didn't take it by force. The church is here to permeate and infiltrate every corner of society. We are not given a spirit of fear, but of power. We are outposts of heaven. We bring heaven to earth. We bring relationship between us and God to earth. We bring life back to an earth that's dying. We bring fruit. We bring light, like light. Power. We have power. The church is on the offense, not the defense. Get that, okay? It's funny, I heard that this week and I was fired up. I was in here all alone. I think I was listening on my headphones to something. It was for my class. I was listening to some videos for my class that's coming up. And, and, and he was talking about how the church is, is offensive, not defensive. We are absolutely meant to be here offensively. And I was like, yes! And no one's here. People outside are like, what is going on? You know, it's not like my voice is quiet. But it's like, that's, that's it. Just like creation. Right? Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Creation was an offensive move by God. Satan's fallen. All his angels, what does he do? Creation, he creates mankind. Mankind are these blessable image of God warriors that he's going to put into the world to go and look like him. So the church is on the offense, not the defense. And that changes everything, the way you look at everything. Like, because if we think we're on the defense, and a lot of times that has to do with the way we, we read and interpret things, we go, oh no, it's going to get worse. It's, it is getting worse. But that's like the call to go even further in to permeate. It, it's like an even more urgent call for the church to permeate society. As Paul, as things got worse for him, what did he do? He like doubled down and went even more hardcore. And so he could say, I am not living by fear. What's so sad is so many people have given in to fear and they think that by bowing to fear, they're going to find peace. You will never find peace. It's like negotiating with a terrorist. This is never going to work. It's only going to get worse for you. And you're going to find you're giving and giving more and more and more of yourself. So power, the church is on the offense, not the defense. Love, we're motivated by love. This changes everything. Escaping is not love. 
Choosing to run away is not love. Just like my friends who did not have our back, they ran away. That's not, you don't love us. You don't care. You're all about you only. Domination is also not love. Let's just go in and dominate for Jesus. No, 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 no. This is an upside down kingdom. It's going to change from the upside down. And it's about permeating light into darkness. And it's about seeing lives change from dark to light. Eyes opened, awakened. Paul has this, and then he says this in a sound mind. Paul has this sound mind. He's not freaking out, right? And, and so he's not freaking out about what's going around him. He's not like, you know, shooting nukes at everybody, you know? He's not telling everybody to come bring swords and, you know, free me. He's not freaking out about any of that. He is, has a sound mind. He's like, guys, we're good. Like, we know about this stuff. Like, remember what you've been taught. Remember who you are. Remember why you're here. He's not freaking out. Let me say this. If you choose the way of escape, it will make you crazy. You're going to choose to you're gonna get crazier and crazier. Remember we were at the, be at the beach and uh, this lady was there and you could tell they seemed like they were from out of town. Um, you know, you could tell. We always ask ourselves that. Do we look like tourists? And we have, if, if so, change. You know, we just don't want to feel like, you know, anyway. Sorry, if you're a tourist, thank you for coming. Um, but we say that, do you think we look like, no, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. And I'm like, well, my feet are pretty white. Uh, that was a bad sign. You could see the sock line. Um, but we were hanging out, and these people kind of seemed like they were tourists. Apparently, they were from California, but they'd moved to Utah to get away from society. For they found out Utah had it too, even in Salt Lake City. And, uh, and they're like, now we're, we're planning on finding somewhere in the mountains where we could like hunker down. And I'm like, wow, this is fear. This is what happens. Like, it's like one step turns into the next step and then into the next step. And you go, so who gets eaten when you run out of food? Have you decided that? And they're like, yeah, well, we have a plan. <laughs> not to say that there's not like real threats out there, but I, I, how small is your God? Remember, he has called us to permeate, to be outposts of heaven here on earth. And what happens when all the outposts are all living together? What are we doing? We leave the world to darkness. That's what we're seeing. So I think a lot of what we see around us, we can blame society, but we really got to start with blaming ourselves. Have we been the church that we need to be? Have we been the ambassadors of Christ that we're supposed to be? What's the ambassador supposed to do? Represent the king. I'm coming to you. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm coming to you. I'm going to live like him. I'm going to, I'm going to love like him. I'm going to think like him. We're going to, we're going to value like him. Is this easy? No, it's not easy. And I'm not trying to dog on anyone. We all have our things, you know. But it's important to remember, this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, but it is effective, and it is what you are called to, and it's why we're here. So be re-encouraged to reignite, rekindle the gift that God has put in you to fan into flame the, the little spark that remains. It's just kind of sitting there simmering, right? We had one of those old stoves growing up that the pilots always lit. Isn't that kind of freaky? Does anybody think about that? It's just like, there's always a fire 
in my house. And you just hope nothing else is lit somewhere. Because, I mean, you go and you say, oh, oh, the pilot's out. And when the pilot's out, it's just gas, which is great, you know. If both pilots are out, it's just spewing gas into the house for the rest of time, you know. But there's two little flames sitting there. And the idea is those little flames sit there. You turn the gas on. The gas goes. It catches it. It's a, it's a firebomb. But it also turns on the stove. This is, this is, maybe that's it. It's just a pilot light. Well, like, let's look at God and say, God, unite, ignite the flame. Let's rekindle this thing. Turn the gas back on in my life. Let's go. And then find yourself encouraged to, to invest where we're at. You look at the news all the time, you're going to be like, oh, it's, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. It, it looks so much like so many different times in history, honestly. The more you study history, the more you study church history, it's been so gnarly. It actually is closer to what the original church was born into than, than it was before. And that was pretty effective in a lot of ways. So let's, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to him. Keep following him and not, get, not take on the spirit of fear. But let's, let's look at what God's given us and recognize that we have power, right? He's given us power. The power, he's given us love and he's given us a sound mind. And then let's operate in our giftings that he's given us. Lord, it's kind of long. Sorry, guys. Lord, we thank you so much for this time and your word and... Um,